Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder's current pick situation and how many I believe the Thunder will be taking in the class and then I'm also going to be giving the second installment of my kind of mock big board. I'm going to be going from picks 25 to 21 on my board and giving explanations for all five of those prospects. So starting things out, I want to talk a little bit about the Thunder's current pick situation and where I think they're going to use their picks and which ones they may not even use, uh, to be honest with you. And this comes from, you know, an article that I read not too long ago. This was also kind of intertwined with the Colin Sexton rumors of last week, but it was kind of a tidbit that went unnoticed. I actually had to reread to actually see it, but it's kind of interesting. And it's from Sam Amico again from Hoopswire. And this is when he was talking about, you know, the seven or so teams that were interested in Colin Sexton. The Thunder happened to be on that list, but there was a quote here that really piqued my attention. And it was insane that Sam Presti has no desire to select three rookies on guaranteed contracts and that's that's a pretty bold one considering the thunder have the biggest you know scale of draft picks in this class they have six five of which are in the top 36 i believe maladone was selected uh pretty damn close there. i think he was 34 and vit kretschy was 37 so i mean those are some very valuable picks and you got five of those and you got pick 55 at the very end but that's 10 percent of the entire board and it's pretty obvious the thunder they're in a rebuilding phase they're not looking to win now so these picks are very useful but it kind of got me thinking like how many picks should we actually anticipate the thunder using because they have a decent bit of their roster under contract right now and they have so many different role players like they couldn't even keep frank jackson for example this past season you know just stuff like that because they already had so many young role players and they're not stars like the guys on the bench we have right now obviously they're not stars they're not really starting caliber but they are glue guys that i think other teams around the league would love to have like an isaiah roby you know kenrich williams he's a premier guy you could have coming off the bench um i guess gabriel deck we need to see a bit more from him but even like ty jerome like all of those people are very good in their roles it's just we don't have like all the superstars yet but they would be complimentary pieces you know if we were looking to be in the playoffs so these guys aren't scrubs like some make this team uh, out to be but anyways i just want to break down the current roster where i think the thunder could go in free agency and then maybe set the table for what i think a draft day scenario would look like so they do have six, they have 16, they have 18, 34, 36, and 55. But you got to look at what they have on the roster right now. And they have seven players on guaranteed contracts. You're going to find that in SGA, Kemba Walker, Teo Maladone, Ty Jerome, Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, and Alexei Pokusevsky. And they also have four non-guaranteed contracts they have to deal with in Gabrielle Deck, Kemrich Williams, Charlie Brown Jr., and Isaiah Roby. So when you look at this list, 
I think that we've already determined in deals, if there's a blockbuster deal on the table, you're not going to trade SGA. Like for pick number one, it's an intriguing discussion. Are you going to pull the trigger on it? I don't think it'd be a very smart idea. You would give up pretty much everything except for SGA. You know, if Cade's in the equation, everything else is, you know, you're going to give that up. But I feel like the only untouchable probably is SGA right now. Obviously, I think Lou Dort is a hard person to get away with. Also, the potential with Alexei Pokashevsky is really apparent. So I don't know if you want to move him. But everybody else, like even a Baisley, Maladone, Ty Jerome, we know that if the right offer comes up, they might, you know, find their way out. And Kemba Walker is already on the market. I don't even think the Thunder would want him to suit up in a Thunder jersey because that kind of does hinder what you can do in the guard rotation anyways. So you're going to keep all those seven, obviously, unless there's some sort of trade that pops up. But those seven would be on the roster if no you know, trades would be made. Now, when you look at the non-guaranteed deals, the Thunder have done an excellent job at getting really cheap contracts. Like Lou Dort, for example, getting paid like damn near the minimum. You know, they got him on the two-way. They upgraded it. It's like a four-year contract maybe, but he's getting pennies. And that's what they did with Moses Brown. Obviously, he got traded away. But they got a sign and trade with Kenrich Williams. Now he's entering year two of three on this three-year, $6 million contract. You're not going to be giving him away for $2 million, even if you don't have him in your future plans. I still believe you could trade Kenrich Williams to a playoff contender, and you might actually get draft equity or some piece that you could use because he does have value and that contract really is uh, extremely useful considering a lot of these playoff contenders are already over the hard cap, some even over the luxury cap. They don't have a lot of wiggle room. So a guy like Kendrick Williams would really help them out and be that kind of cost-effective option. So you're going to keep him, obviously. That gives you eight players. And with Gabriel Deck, personally, I don't know. Um, You know, does he fit the timeline? Not necessarily. He's 26 years old. In his 10 games, he showed bits and pieces. Like, clearly the playmaking is at a very high level. I think his pace and, you know, play the game probably doesn't suit the Thunder that well. Also, the fact his jumper is a set shot takes a long time, and it just wasn't going in that much. I think that's a bit of a turnoff. Obviously, with Real Madrid, he was like a mid-30s three-point shooter, but he needs to kind of bulk up there because that was a major problem with him the post game is very solid so he's kind of that rotation piece uh just like a roby would be maybe and for next season he'd be making a little bit around like 3.6 3.7 i don't have the numbers on me but i know it's between 3.5 and 4 million dollars so he'd be more of a trade ship i still think you'd keep him around though instead of just you know kicking him out after a 10 game stint uh, outside of those though, Roby, I think you also would want to bring him back. So that gets you to 10 now. Charlie Brown Jr. That was a very odd signing to be quite honest with you because they end up getting him. He had those two 10 days and honestly, he wasn't too impressive in either of those two 10 day contracts. And there was one game remaining against the Los Angeles Clippers. Like, I think there might have just been like one day left in the regular season. There was nothing. And they got him to a non-guaranteed contract. So he got a really good, uh, really good deal there. He played like 30 minutes to get however much the minimum would have been at that point. I don't think he's going to stick around though. I think that the whole purpose in getting him 
was to keep him on the blue. The thing that I've talked about before is the Thunder, they are in love with these 3 and D type of prospects. And I mentioned it when I was talking about Tulsa wing Brandon Rochelle because he's like a six foot eight, six foot nine wing, I believe. I might be a bit off because it's right, it's not right there, but he's like that wing and he's kind of that three and D project. The defensive end is all right. They are in love with them, uh, those kind of guys. And the one that they had last year in Melvin Frazier Jr., I love him. I'm very disappointed he didn't really perform. I thought he was going to be the star of the team. Now, there were about seven stars on that G League team. So, you know, obviously someone got uh, kind of pushed to the side. But I do really like Melvin Frazier Jr. I don't know if he's going to return because he's kind of been stuck in this limbo almost of G League play. You know, he's played with Lakeland instead of with the Magic, even though he got drafted like 36th and we never gave we never gave him the shot I could see him walking away and going to make pretty decent money because if you're looking at overseas he could definitely make some sort of money whether it's in the in Russia whether it's in Spain just overall in Europe there is money there for Melvin Frazier Jr. he is a very good you know player and I'm sure teams would love to have him on the roster and he make a lot more money uh, than he would obviously playing for the Thunder. Maybe he'd want to stay around, but I almost see him as a replacement because he's very similar to Melvin Frazier in that regard. And I don't know, maybe you could even put him on a two-way because he's been on two-way contracts before. So you can try to slip him there. I just don't think he's going to make that 15-man rotation. There's just too much. He's a little bit too old and a little bit too undeveloped, I think, to be placed above these higher second-round picks and even uh, some other guys. So He's not there. I have Roby, Deck, and Williams making that cut, though. Deck is kind of that, like, you know, maybe we could see something formulate with him to where he doesn't stick around, but that's just my consensus on him currently. And one of the things with Deck was, you know, he kind of just snuck around at the end of the season. There were rumors all around Europe. Uh, Deck finally comes over. Vasily Micic, we didn't end up getting him. He would have had a spot probably to get traded for next week but you know we were pursuing Micic we wanted to go in that overseas pool and all the while the Thunder have had this overseas player in Vit Kregi for the whole entire season and he's been in OKC I mentioned it they bought out his contract from Zaragoza uh, this month so the Oklahoma City Thunder have his rights he's going to be a member of the Thunder organization and he has been he got signed to the OKC Blue back in January. Joe Mazzato of the Oklahoman first reported it, but he got signed to the you know the team. He never stepped foot in Orlando. He's been rehabbing an ACL injury all the while, but it finally seems like he's good to go. He's practicing with Renz Blindberg uh, two weeks ago. I think it was actually 4th of July. But yeah, he was working out with Renz. I'm assuming if he's about to go into a draft workout, they were going hardcore. So I'd assume he'd be ready for summer league and maybe even, you know, for actual play for the regular season. The thing, though, is we don't know the real guidelines on how these overseas buyouts work because I, I looked at Brandon Rabar and John Ham's tweets on this, and they spoke with Nick Collison's agent, and he didn't really know how it worked. Like, if you're going to buy someone out, from overseas they're not going to be signed to like an exhibit 10 or just a g league contract 
he doesn't know if it's for a two-way contract. That is a gray area right now. But obviously, if you're going to buy someone out, they can immediately play on that 15-man roster. So we don't know how this two-way contract works exactly right now. I don't know if this is at first where someone gets bought out to play on a two-way contract, but it makes for a really interesting conversation. And honestly, it's a pretty hot take. I don't know. I feel like Vit Krejci might sneak his way into the actual 15-man roster and I almost I want to put him in a two-way I feel like that makes more sense financially and also he's going to be playing in the G League extensively and the two-way deals are a bit more lax like they can still play 50 games just no playoffs that should not be that big of an issue with him but I think two-way makes more sense, but we don't know what's going on with the contracts. That kind of makes me believe he might, you know, get a real look at training camp and maybe even take that spot. So I'll put him there for right now, and we'll just move on from that point. But two other guys that are in contention are Josh Hall and Jalen Horde. Both did an excellent job on their two-way contracts this year, and... I don't know what um I don't know what's gonna be of Jalen Horde because he was very good in his time with the Thunder, even with the blue. You know, he's a solid kind of bench player. He was hiding behind Alexei Pokashevsky most of the time in the rotation. But when he got the call-ups to start and even off the bench, he did an excellent job. He played 19 games with the Thunder, averaging 6.1 points, 3.4 rebounds, and 1.3 assists. He was just an interior force. He's very good at driving in, collecting fouls, and on the defensive side, you know, he's he's pretty gritty. I think he's solid at defending threes and fours. I don't know if you want to go to the fives, and I think he can get torched by guards, but he's a very good finisher. The three ball is just something that has never come to be with him. You know, with the blue, he was shanking three after three, making about a quarter of the time when he was wide open. It didn't translate to the Thunder. He couldn't make threes either. So I think that's a major kind of roadblock with him. I like him. I think he's worth another two-way contract. I don't think the Thunder would be able to give it to him though. So I'm going to say Jalen Horde probably walks and hopefully he finds another spot because he definitely deserves a real shot. He was great off the bench for us. Josh Hall is a guy who I think gets a two-way offer from the Thunder. They are allowed to do that. Taco Fall and Tremont Wanders, for example, for the Celtics. They have been on two-way contracts for the last two seasons, so you can just keep racking it up over and over again. I don't know if there's a cap, but Josh Hall is still eligible, and so is Jalen Horde, actually. So I think Josh Hall gets another two-way because he's a five-star recruit. He showed glimpses. I mean, he was practically injured all season long. He didn't even get to play in the with the blue played maybe like all of two minutes like it was nothing he was injured had a knee issue health and safety got in the mix but that 25 point game to end the season really helped him out because he was showing a little bit of everything and that's exactly what we wanted to see from him he's an explosive athlete he's shown the ability to play with the ball in his hands but if he can shoot at an efficient clip he's gonna make it as a role player in the nba and I think he's worth a second look. So I'll put him as a two-way guy, but that leaves you with 11 players and one two-way with Josh Hall right now. And now you get to the guys that we're going to see in the free agent pool. And that is in Steve McKay, Luke, 
Tony Bradley, and Mike Muscala. I think Sfi is great. We have been searching for a guy like Sfi Mihailuk for five years now, and probably even longer. Like, we were filtering through the Terrence Ferguson's, Alex Abrinez's, just anyone who we think can shoot the basketball, you immediately get priority, and you're going to get minutes. Sfi did that for us. I don't know if they'd want to give him another offer, though. They might, but I don't know if they want to give him offer sheet. I think that playoff teams will look at him kind of similar to like a Luke Kennard or Shamit almost, like just someone you can plug in and, you know, you make some threes. And obviously Kennard and Shamit, they're better shot creators than Sfi Mihailuk is, but just those standstill shooters. Sfi did it for the Lakers, you know, the brief moment he was there. Pistons, he was all right. Definitely broke out of the seams again once he joined the Thunder. So I don't know if the Thunder would retain him, and it sucks because he'd be an excellent wing. I think a lot of it has to do with the future of Kenrich Williams, maybe, because they kind of are directly fighting for the same two, three minutes. I'm going to say Kenrich Williams wins that battle, though, and I believe Sima Haluk would probably leave on a new contract, which stinks. I would love him back. For the case of Tony Bradley, I think there's a higher chance he stays as opposed to anybody else on this roster, because... Tony Bradley fills the need the Thunder have, and that is a center. Tony Bradley's 22, so he's relatively young, and that's about the end of the story. That's all you need to fit the bill for what the Thunder need. The Thunder, they currently are in this spot where they just don't have any bigs. They traded away Al Horford. Moses Brown got packaged in that deal. All you got was Kemba in that pick number 16. There's nothing left, really even on that blue team as well, because you're at 7 left. So they don't have a center really anywhere within the organization. Tony Bradley is the only guy that they could potentially cling onto, and we don't know what the money's going to look like with him. He came in really unsure if he was even going to have another shot in the league because he's just barely made it. He's been getting 12 to 15 minutes with the Jazz, joined the 76ers, kind of had that same role. But then he comes to the Thunder, and he was doing as well as Moses Brown, really, averaging 8.7 points and 6.1 rebounds in less than 20 minutes. And you can say it's empty stats. I mean, it's not like the Thunder were hitting every single shot out there. They were getting outscored by 30, 40 points, you know, a decent bit more than we've seen in like the last 10 seasons. So getting rebounds makes sense. Points in the paint also makes sense. But yeah, he was a good at getting rebounds, establishing position, and on the pick and rolls, he did a good job hiding. There was kind of a connection with Ty Jerome there, I believe. I don't know. Like, I feel like he's the he's a decent backup. He's like your conventional backup center you have for the short term, not necessarily the long term. Tony Bradley's not going to be a starter in the NBA, but he will be a serviceable serviceable big man for a long time. So, I'm also going to say probably no here though it does make sense and the reason I'm saying no you need to be able to shoot the basketball I think that's a really big priority and also I think based on what is in the trade market right now the Thunder might just get a center anyways and that could help out regardless so I'm gonna say Bradley is also a no and Mike Muscala I mean you always want that vet the Thunder stuck to Nick Collison like crazy. There was Steven Adams who, you know, they had to trade off. And Mike Muscala is kind of taking that veteran leadership role almost. Like he's crying 
in the um, you know the exit interviews like he was getting emotional about the team and his impending free agency he didn't want to leave during the trade deadline and he wouldn't want to leave anyways he wants to stay on this roster I don't know if he's still able to make that because with all these valuable picks I feel like Mike Muscala even though he's a great bench stretch four stretch five wherever you want to put him also say it's a no so for all of speed tony and mike i don't think they're going to return so you're left with 11 because i did add vit plus the other you know 10 guys who are on guaranteed or non-guaranteed deals and that is going to leave you with 11 players and there's free agency too so it's like what are you going to do with free agency they typically, you know, will sign like one guy. They'll get training camp offers out there, but they have so many darn picks. Makes it hard to kind of visualize things. So I think four makes sense though, because right now they have 11, but you need to look at this. Six, 16, and 18 are those three. That's kind of like the trifecta of valuable picks. Now, 34 and 36 are kind of in their own category, like a subcategory, and 55, that's not really of any value, to be honest with you. So, if they want to make a move, they have the Pelicans right there. They clearly are having struggles with the salary right now. They have Eric Bledsoe and they have Steven Adams. Neither of those two work with Zion Williamson, and both of them are eating up a pretty large portion of of their salary for them so they need to offload both of them probably that's that's the goal here I don't know if the Thunder would take both of them on though I think Eric Bledsoe is a bit of a tough thing to handle so the deal that I've seen everywhere is where you trade 16 and 18 and you get Steven Adams and pick number 10 that makes sense with me uh you get Steven Adams who truthfully I don't know like I don't think he fits the Thunder right now he's a fan favorite so that's good he still needs to be able to shoot the basketball, and I don't even know, like, is he going to be that surefire starter if you get that young, energetic big man? I don't know, but they, they get him, right? And we don't have a center, so he'd be the immediate starter. He'd be, you know, probably average. Uh, and then you get pick 10, so you get another shot with six. Ideally, you want to get in that top three. I think top, you know, once you get to four through six, it's kind of that same tier with me at least. But one through three, that is a gold mine. I don't think the Thunder can tap into that, truthfully, without digging out pick after pick after pick. It's going to be unpredictable. So really what I'm talking, it's kind of gibberish. But a pickup there is so difficult, and I think that might be kind of locked. I think they're locked to only talking to those three teams are all talking to each other. Everyone else is walled off because there is kind of that line that has been drawn with them. But I think the Pelicans... Truthfully, they don't even need uh, a guy like Adams, of course, but they also don't really need a 10th pick. They need win now players. So with 16 and 18, maybe you can turn it into like those really obscure mega trades, like the one that actually brought Steven Adams to the Pelicans, where you branch 16 off, you sell it off, you sell 18 off, and then get some veterans. But I think a guy like Corey Kispert, for example, would be awesome for them. They need shooters and I, I think he could honestly slide there. He's trending downwards from what I know. So I think Corey Kispert could actually be there and they could pick him up. They got uh, 18 as well. I think a 10, if they had him, you know, had a shot there, they'd probably just prioritize a shooter anyways if they don't trade it. So 
that helps you. That shreds it down to five or yeah, five total picks. You have 34 and 36 and you might be able to pull like a Pokashevsky trade where you combine those two picks to move up like seven, eight, nine spots to get in that late second, secure a guy that you love and you're just done with that. Um, but that could also be, you know, a, a conflict. You, you know, we don't even know what is going to be at the second round. Like this mid first round is so murky right now. Like Isaiah Todd is now rising up boards. Vrenz is talking about playing with first rounders. It's all kind of a mess right now. And even guys like Dayron Sharp too. This guy's been seen as a second rounder all year. Now he's getting first round attraction. So there's going to be a lot of surprises once you get to 34 and 36. No doubt about it. But if the Thunder are, are sold on somebody and they're at like pick 25 or wherever, they might as well just make that deal because there's no guarantees that anyone is going to make it there. It is, it's going to be so, so sporadic. And there's going to be a lot of shockers, I believe. I think the consensus mock drafts are going to get completely destroyed once you get to pick like 16 or so probably even before that there'll be some shockers but if i were to make it you know as realistic as possible i think what you could see to get down to those four picks is the thunder they make that deal to get 10 and maybe adams they could use 34 and 36 or make that deal to package and 55 that could just be a sprinkler like you could just toss that in a deal or make it on a euro stash i don't expect them to use 55 now they used 53 in an additional second uh last year to get credgy and admiral schofield so you could make those really wild deals i don't even know how they traded up that far through that but anything's possible so i'd probably predict four and i'd predict that you have the seven guaranteed guys deck Roby and Williams are there, and Vit Kredge will be the shocker who actually gets that 15-man because, honestly, I don't even think he can get signed on a two-way, but it might be possible. We'll have to find out. If it is, I can see him going to a two-way, and you got yourself five picks for ammunition. But anyways, now we're going to go to the big board. But before I get into all of that, I just want to let you guys know a little bit about the Basketball Podcast Network. As you guys know, I am the affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network with the Oklahoma City Thunder, and it's going to provide you guys up-to-date podcasts with every team around the league. I think we're missing around two right now. No, one of them's Toronto, missing on the other one, but you can almost listen to any team on the network, going to get it to you bi-weekly weekly i know some people are even spewing out daily shows on there and you got people from the athletic from bally sports and even more so you guys can check that out you guys can find them at hoops pod on twitter and you guys can always find it whenever i post episode updates on my twitter page but moving on like i said to the big board I mentioned picks 30 through 36 on yesterday's episode. I even talked about three extra ones where, you know, I mentioned that they, you know, barely missed the cut for me, but we're going to be going from 25 to 21 on this list. And this has some hot takes and it has a lot of fun players on it. And like I said yesterday, I'm going to reiterate it again today. 
it's kind of weird making these big boards because there's ways to do it where you're predicting the future in five years and then there's here's what I look at based on who I'd want to draft first and even if it doesn't pan out it's a worthwhile investment I kind of blended it so it's a bit weird I think I'm going to make a thunder specialized one later on because that one's probably you know more accurate and probably a better one to even look at because you know some people are safe picks but you know boomer busts you got to give them some love even if they don't end up being the star that they were supposed to become but anyways starting things out at pick 25 we have a big one and this is Franz Wagner out of Michigan and people are gonna hate me for putting him this low but it seems like every single year you get those wings who are picked in the lottery and they just don't pan out to be you know top in the class and I think Franz Wagner is a guy that you're gonna see in the NBA right like he will be a solid wing but I think the idea of him reaching this potential of like a star I'm not necessarily sold on it like he does have a good build and he is fairly young at 19 he's six foot nine and 220 pounds but I don't look at him and think this guy's a star this guy's this or that I look at him and think he's probably gonna be a very solid backup wing for a very long time but nothing elite so that's why I had to put him here you know he's a good three-point shooter when it comes to the defensive side of things as well he's solid like he is going to bank off that three and d factor but the big thing comes with this three and this is what everyone is hyping him up about right now and it's his shot making ability he shot 34.3 percent on threes last year with the michigan wolverines and the year prior to that he shot even worse at 31.1 percent and those are not bad but it's not amazing good indicator here is the free throw and he shot 83% both seasons. So he's a decent shooter, right? Like the mechanics are sound. But when you look at the elite 3 and D guys, you want them to be shooting upper 30s, hell, even in the 40s. I don't think I don't really think Wagner is going to do that. And I think on the defensive end, he's good. Like he can he's able to get blocks, he's able to get steals, he can get pesky, uh, you know, pretty pesty. Um, but I don't think he's going to be this like wow all defender type player like he's going to be an above average defender in the NBA he'll be solid but I don't look at him and think he's elite I also don't look at him and think he's elite at the three-point shot right now you know even moving around the floor I'm not entirely sold on him now one good thing is that he's pretty good at finishing inside and he shot around 70% at the rim so that is one saving grace that you know I think makes him pretty nice um but when I look at him I don't know about this you know this whole spiel of locked in lottery pick he's the top three and D guy in this draft class I think that's something that you need to look at a little bit closer because when I look at Wagner and when I look at some of the other guys in this draft class I'm I don't really know if I put Wagner ahead of those uh other people but yeah I think he's one of those people that will stick around on a bench as kind of that rotational wing who can come in with the ones or the twos and you're not going to see a drop off which is very appealing but if you're going to pick him you know like eight nine ten wherever this range is and there are some superstar potential people on the board i'd probably elect to go somewhere else and you know that's just me you know he's going to be decent but i don't look at him and think he's going to be a star so you know he's pretty low on this list right now this is kind of one of those picks where it's based off of my bias where i see him with like a you know the thunder for example but that's where i have him so that's kind of the surprise pick that everyone's going to give me flack for if he pans out well 
he pans out. That is going to be my big miss that I'll be talking about for a pretty long time. But after Franz Wagner, I have Isaiah Jackson at 24, and he's a freshman out of Kentucky. This is a person that I had going to the Thunder in my mock draft at selection number 18, and he has gotten a lot of attention. It kind of comes in waves, like he'll be on top of the news, and then people forget about him. He's kind of in that stage right now where nobody is talking about him. They'd rather talk about Kai Jones. They'd rather talk about you know some of these other prospects that are kind of coming out, particularly at the guard and wing positions. That's where you're finding most of the news right now. But yeah, Isaiah Jackson, he is explosive around the rim. He'll be able to fly in as a rim runner. If you have SGA throwing lobs up to, to Isaiah Jackson, it's going to make for a very, very fun time. And that's really what he banks on. He banks on his athleticism because he's not really as tall as people make him out to be. He's listed at 6'10". Sometimes you're going to see him at 6'9". So he's a bit undersized. But like I said, the vertical does really help him out as a player. So that means he can go up there for the offensive rebound. Second chance wise, he's very good. But the main thing is those post risers. He has it down. So as a rim runner, he's perfect. That's the probably biggest strength he has as a player going into this draft but once you expand outside of that will you start looking at okay well is he able to be effective on the offensive side beyond just that and you know he has shown uh in some spurts that he can shoot a little bit now it's not like he was actively going to the three-point line like he only shot two threes the entire season which is not any at all like that is something like Andre Drummond would shoot off of like random buzzers like that's not part of his game right now but he did have a face-up mid-range and it wasn't like he was hesitating you know he'd just go into the motions. so you know you look at him and think okay he has that solid face-up game how far can we expand that can we expand that to like the you know back end of the two to the three-point line and just make him a pick and pop guy because if he's able to do that he becomes such a difficult person to defend especially because of that size because of the speed uh and because you know if you have sga on your team if he's on the thunder that is going to be a dynamic duo that you're going to be looking at and outside of isaiah jackson's ability to you know drive in do this do that on the other side of the ball, he is a very, very good rim protector. And it comes from that athletic ability where, you know, if you're going to drive right in on him, he's going to be going up and he's going to be swinging. He will whack the shots into the stands. That's just how he is. That's the energy he's going to bring to the table. It doesn't matter if it's like a chase down setting or you're trying to bump right into him for like a foul. He's going to want that contact and he's going to try to reject your shot. So his ability to play you know pretty hard is a major plus for me and he ties it all up with how he's able to rebound as well so he's not going to be giving you any sort of space he's going to make it pretty difficult for you know opposing bigs and I think he's a guy who kind of resembles a Kenneth Farid almost you know when he was playing and there's other you know when I'm looking at this right now it says Nerlens Noel as a comparison I guess that's kind of fair based on the athleticism and the rejection, uh, but Nolan's Noel couldn't shoot a jumper for his life. Isaiah Jackson has shown that, and that's what makes him you know, pretty damn special, especially if he's going to be falling to the mid to late first round. But moving past Isaiah Jackson, I want to talk about Trey Mann out of Florida. And Trey Mann is a guy who can very 
really anywhere on this board and i've seen mocks where he goes number 14 to the golden state warriors now do i believe that's going to happen no i don't believe that's going to happen but i do think that he could get picked in that mid first and it makes sense now he could also get picked in that late first round and some people even see him sliding to the second round now i could see him getting picked up in the late first honestly and I have him ranked at 23, which I think is pretty modest given, you know, kind of where we've seen him range right now. But he's a six foot four point guard, shooting guard out of Florida. And I've talked about him before, but this is a guy who has a pretty decent glob of potential right now. And he has a step back jumper in his game. He has a very quick handle with the basketball. In terms of skying up for dunks, it's not going to be, you know, happening every game for him. Like he can go up for dunks not going to be part of the game that much but the big deal is the ball handling ability and his ability to shoot the lights out from three but the biggest point of intrigue with Trey Mann is the jump he made from his freshman year to his sophomore year he, he went from like a six point per game scorer in his freshman year to like 17 or 16 points my bad shooting above 40 percent from three and leading the Florida Gators in points per game and even on top of that he was averaging three and a half assists so he was doing it all. He went from a nobody to the star of the team. And at 20 years old, I think it's fair to say, you know, executives could look at this guy and say, look at the jump he made. He could join our team and he could make that jump. He can continue to progress and he'll be a very solid player. So the potential is serious for him. I think it's kind of been downplayed, but that freshman and sophomore jump is very legitimate and it's very scary. So He's going to be that kind of explosive guard you're going to find off the bench. If you're looking for that power punch of threes, quick barrage, he'll do it for you. Now, he can get in that kind of rhythm where he's not able to hit, and that's a problem. But, um, you know, for the most part, he does a very good job at finding his way to the basket. And on top of it all, one of the best things that he has is when he drives is a very beautiful floater and that is something that not a lot of guards have right now so he's mastered the floater that's gonna be huge for him because he's really not all that athletic so that is that is kind of how he compensates and I think he does a very good job at doing that and one thing too that is kind of interesting grew two inches over the past year which is ridiculous so I don't know if he has any more kick left in him but we will have to see on that. Defensively, that's where the problems come in with a guy like Trey Mann because, you know, he was kind of getting cooked up, you know, here and there. If you're going to put him on a forward, it's a nightmare. And the label of a combo guard, we don't really know necessarily. Like body-wise, he fits the bill, but he needs to be able to defend both of them at a high rate. And we just haven't really seen that enough yet to make him a certified defender so offensively he's very intriguing as a point guard but you got to look at the uh look at the defense so that's why i placed him where i did at 22 i got chris duarte out of oregon and he is the oldest guy that is considered a first round prospect he's 24 years old already he's a six foot six 190 pound wing i also mentioned him before on the podcast but he's another guy where he is able to shoot and he can shoot from anywhere and it's not like trey man where he has the ball in his hands to create he can do it off the ball and you can give it to him he'll iso and he'll pull up dribble handoff 
catch and shoot, any shot, he will get it. And even driving to the basket, he is not afraid to go up there and try to catch some bodies. So he's a very physical guard. And I think that's very appealing, especially to these late first round teams. You saw Desmond Bain from last year go pick number 30. Now in redrafts, you see him go in the lottery at times. Lights out shooter who can defend. Chris Duarte, he's of that same kind of area where he is a very, very good offensive player and probably one of the better shooting guards in the class when it comes down to it. Now, the defensive side of things, that's kind of one of the issues where it's not like he's really fast. So being able to guard when he's mismatched onto a point guard could be a problem, but I think twos and threes I'm pretty confident with. The thing, though, is that offense, like I said, where he can score from all three levels, he can drive in, he's pretty ambidextrous, so he can take it in with either hand, and he's a person who can kind of hide, and he can kind of mold to whatever roster it is. So if there's a team that doesn't have that true leader, he can try to step up for you, but also if you put him on a Lakers team, for instance, you, you know, you have LeBron, you have AD, you just need that bench guy who can come in. Chris Duarte is going to do that, and he'll just secretly strum out 10 points, and everyone's super confused. He can do that. He doesn't need to be playing starting minutes, but as a bench piece, he's going to be an immediate impact player, and he's one of the you know more immediate impact guys you're going to find. At 24, you better be an immediate impact if you're looking to be selected in the first round of a very stacked draft class. So I got Duarte there. I think in terms of offense, he probably does rank higher than 22, but you got to look at the full package and the age does kind of knock him down a little bit because the ceiling does um, just kind of, yeah, it kind of gets hindered just a little. The guy ahead of him though at 21 is a person that I have been raving about from day one and it is JT Thor out of Auburn. He's been seen as a second rounder for a long time now he's climbing up people see him going to the rockets at 23 and 24 now most mocks don't have him going in the first round again so he keeps flipping he's gonna be one of those guys where his draft position will probably shock some people and i don't even know where he'd be drafted if the thunder had a shot at him at 34 you're gonna take him at 34 because he is a 6 foot 10 203 pound small forward power forward who is only 19 years old and originally he was actually committed to play for Oklahoma State and honestly he should have done that him playing alongside Cade Cunningham would have been absolutely nasty but he decided to play for the Auburn Tigers and you know that was kind of the end of the story there and he ended up averaging 9.4 points, had 5 rebounds, and averaged 1.4 blocks a game. Big thing, shot below 30% from 3. And the thing that Thor gets is that he can do a little of everything. And that, you know, sub-30 three-pointer, that does hurt his resume just a little bit. But if you look at his pro day, this guy can move with the basketball a lot faster than a power forward would. He's able to go up, do some windmill dunks, a step in from the free throw line. You're telling me people are considering him a second round prospect? Dude, even if he doesn't pan out, this is a guy you want to take a serious look at. You want to make a dice roll on a player like JT Thor because his, you know, his frame is something you're not going to see 
at this spot for a very long time. And I don't have the measurables on his wingspan. I'd have to believe it's like seven foot two at a minimum. So he's got some long arms. And because of that, he's able to reject any sort of shots that come his way. And this comes inside, but also outside. He's very good at closing the distance on some of these guards. Now, in some instances, if he does get kind of killed with a step back, it might be over. But the pull-up jumpers, he's going to contest you. Some step backs even, if you don't cover enough ground, he'll close the gap and he'll get a fingertip on it. He's just a very disruptive defender, and he's able to do it at multiple positions. Now, at 203 pounds, he's not going to be going up against um, centers all that much. Like, if he gets back down... That might be rough, but I think it's a matter of bulking up for him because he was still, you know, sustainable against some power forwards. Now, it could be like Darius Baisley where you go up in the regular season and there's just situational matchups that you win. I don't think he's able to defend every single power forward in the NBA, Thor, but I think, you know, you kind of move him 3-4 depending on the matchup and he should be a-okay, really. It just depends on who you're facing in front of him but the big deal with JT Thor clearly is the offensive game like the rejecting is still wild though it's at an elite level for where he is currently at but the three ball the form is beautiful fluid ass release and he's able to get it off cleanly really every time because of the length itself so if he's able to move on and be a prominent three-point shooter it's going to be really good for JT Thor and I'm trying to picture exactly where I see him, you know, in terms of if he's a star, a starter, whatever. It's hard to draw the line, but you look at the three, that's going to be the indicator to where his career kind of ends up going. Because as an attacker to the basket, he takes long strides, he's able to get the job done in that area. But the three means a lot because he can dribble, he can pull up, he's able to do the crossover. He has a lot of stuff that he's able to, you know, kind of work on there. So, the three is the big part. If he gets the three down, I already said, elite looking athlete. And on the defensive side of the game, he's able to defend even on screens. He doesn't even look that bad. So I like him. I think that he has everything you'd like. And if this was not the draft class we were in, JT Thor is going to be a clear cut top 20 pick. And he very well still could be. We don't even know what's going to be going on on Thursday evening. But that is going to conclude things for me. I'll just recap what I said. I had Wagner at 25, Isaiah Jackson at 24, Trey Mann at 23, Chris Duarte at 22, and JT Thor rounding things up at pick number 21. If you guys want to listen to picks 30 through 26, you guys can listen to yesterday's podcast and look out for tomorrow's podcast because I will be breaking down picks 20. 19, 18, 17, and 16. So just be prepared for that one. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.